Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Mike Force Podcast. It is, of course, your host, Mike G. Uh, hope you guys are having a good week. Headed into the weekend now, I'll be headed to San Bernardino, California, at Route 66 for a law enforcement-only carbine and a civilian-only pistol course. It's going to be super fun. Uh, I love the company of all the guys and gals at Route 66. Caleb, big shout out to all the, the crew there. One of the best ranges, one of my favorite ranges to go to to train in the United States. Yeah, it's California, but I mean, at least Route 66 has it figured out. Also headed up to train with Andy Stump and Evan Hayford doing some jumping, you know, just to get away a little bit. I'll probably do a day of jumping and then um, do some content with Andy and then uh, head out. It's going to be super fun. Looking forward to it. Guys, I want to uh, start the podcast off with some updates. I think that's something I'm going to do more often. Um, if you're watching us on the YouTubes, you're seeing my face. If you're not, you're hearing my voice. I'm trying to make these all audio appropriate. But the bonus for seeing my face is if I'm doing something with my hands, teaching you guys a skill set, you guys could watch me on YouTube, leave your comments and feedback. I enjoy that all the time. Make sure you subscribe and hit the notification tab. That's Mike Force Podcast. And then my personal YouTube is Mike Glover Actual. Tons of videos if you're interested. If you're listening to me, you're likely listening to me on iTunes, Spotify, wherever podcasts are found. If you're a YouTube subscriber, migrate over there. Make sure you leave good feedback. It helps us out. Guys, um, the news. Oh, I love hitting up current events and seeing what's in the headlines just so I could see um, how different media outlets are twisting truth into whatever their biases are. But also, I want to give you updates on news and, and uh, also Phil Krauss and my perspective on things that are happening throughout the world. First headline news says, Russia warns Finland of consequences if it joins NATO. The Kremlin calls Finland's plans to join NATO a threat and says it will be forced to take retaliatory steps if its neighbor goes ahead. That's scary, guys. The way that this is unfolding, we will look back in history and look at all of the steps all of the junctions, all the opportunities that we had to stop this, and we did. And what could this turn into? Well, it's slowly, if you've studied history, turning into World War III. I mean, this is all the lead up and all the telltale signs of what a superpower, Russia, is doing to accumulate power, and we're back in the 1930s, right? We're back post-World War I, where... Germany is finding its strength and then bullying its neighbors. We're back in that world. And we've already allowed it to happen because we allowed Russia. I mean, we, we didn't declare a line, but we said there will, be, there will be harsh sanctions. You think a superpower like Russia cares about sanctions or strong words? They don't. Only one thing, I know this because I've operated all over the world. Only one thing these kind of people that are running that government understand. And that's power. That's power. So it says, uh, Russia merchant ships turned away from the Mediterranean ports, but not all of them. Video shows Russian soldiers shooting civilians. The surveillance video that shows potential war crimes. Again, it's irrelevant. Like, I love how sovereignty and all of these political people in media and politicians, they try to position themselves based on the idea of sovereignty, law, and order. Except when you're a criminal, when you're the Kremlin, when you're a country that doesn't care about what the world thinks, 
and you're violating every law and treaty and agreement, then what does it matter if you're saying, oh, there's a video that shows a war crime? You think, you think we're going to have Putin in a war trial? You think that's going to happen? The answer is unequivocally no. Nothing's going to happen. It's like the idea that I had when I was in, uh, in Libya and I went to a State Department conference where they were talking about doing business in that part of the world. And they said, well, we need to focus on changing their practices so they're not corrupt. Oh my God, lady. Welcome to the Middle East. They're a bartering nation. They're on the port of the Mediterranean. They've been doing this for thousands and thousands of years. You can't convince an entire culture to change its ways when bartering, when corruption is part of the culture. So we're trying to push all of these ways, these values, this character that we think should be throughout the world, but the rest of the world doesn't operate that way. What do you think what you're doing when you sanction an oligarch that has a $25 million yacht? What are you doing? The only thing you're doing is hurting Russian people. And when you're dictated, when you grow up in this, in poverty, that's the condition they live in. So you're not hurting the powerful, you're just hurting the people. And I look at the people, especially of these countries that do things like this, as innocent until proven guilty. They pick up AK-47s and go to war. It's a different circumstance. But you're not hurting anybody but the people. It says, 100 miles from Ukraine, special forces carry out training drills in the Black Sea. Ooh. What centuries-old poets got right about Ukraine? And then it says, the U.S. is running a fever. What will happen next? The new White House COVID projection puzzles experts and catches some Biden officials off guard. White napkins with handwritten notes. Here's what one COVID victim left behind. Again, propagating COVID. Trying to bring that back, right? It's funny how like all of a sudden after Ukraine, after the State of the Union, COVID doesn't exist anymore. Like one month it existed and it was a problem because the media was talking about it and now it's like not a problem. Here's what 911 audio reveals about Vicki White's final moments before being captured. Vicki White, if you didn't know it, is the corrections officer who was on the run with one of the convicts, one of the criminals that she had facilitated his escape, and then she winded up uh, killing herself. Naomi Judd died of self-inflicted firearm wound. Ashley Judd reveals. I didn't know that. Uh, what else is important in here? And nothing. There's really nothing important in here. So I want to talk about my book update. I got book updates. So I got a book called Prepare all about preparedness. It has been press released through Penguin Random House. I'm super excited about that book and all the things that it's going to do for you and educating you. I'm super pumped about it. Uh, it has all the chapters breaking down what you could do to be best prepared. And then I'm going on a book tour. We're working out the details of that, but I'd love to come see you at Black Rifle Coffee Companies, at Barnes & Noble, at local bookstores throughout the country that would allow me to go step in their bookstore. I'm just super pumped about it. But wanted to give you guys the update. It will be out next spring, spring of 2023, which is going to be a big year for Philcraft Survival and myself because we're launching a couple of new initiatives, including online learning. Super excited about that. I want to talk about Rally. Got the bill back from my couple mishaps where my right rear wheel fell off in Mexico. My first race, my engine blew. Um, if you didn't know, I have to pay for all that stuff. That's how it works, right? If you're driving the car, you're responsible for the damage it incurs. This car in particular is JT's car. Jared decided to put a rally spec engine in it and a sequential. A lot more money, but a lot more capability. 
So we're lining out the schedule for the rest of this year, but it's expensive, guys. You know, I never anticipated paying thirty plus thousand dollars to fix a vehicle plus the money that it takes to rally. I don't have the sponsors. The team has the sponsorship. Uh, I don't have any sponsors. I mean, I have some sponsors, but not enough to pay for expensive things like this. What does that mean for my rally feature? I don't know. I mean, I can't afford rally. I can't afford to be competing at the top. Maybe I could afford being in my own stock Subaru uh, that has all the safety equipment and kind of doing that. But right now, it's not looking good because um, I don't have hundreds of thousands of dollars sitting around to rally. But that's part of the story. I mean, I want to get sponsors. If you're a sponsor or if you're a wealthy person and you want to help me in this journey, I'm, I'm down with it. If not, um, I just can't bury myself and bury my company because I want to rally. Super excited to take a podium finish on my first professional rally. What I'd like to do is I'd like to do some hill climbs next year, stay relevant in motorsports. I'm not giving up the dream. My dream is to do world rally. I want to compete in world rally. Will I be competitive? No. I mean, the guys there are some of the best in the world. Will I chop off at the ankles one at a time some of the guys who are competing in that? Yes. Will I have fun? Even better, right? That's what I want to accomplish. But rally in the American Rally Association is super expensive. And I don't have sponsors, guys. I don't get paid to do this. Black Rifle doesn't pay me. I actually pay my own way in this. And I want to rally, but I don't know if I can. But just giving you the update because I want to be honest with you guys because you guys follow me in all these journeys. Does it mean I'm not going to motorsport? No, I'm motorsporting. I'm actually looking at prepping a car for Pikes Peak next year. I have some sim projects going on with some companies as you see this sim racer in the back. So not even close. A new course that I dropped a concept of this morning, but also the dates. July 2nd, I believe is the date. July 2nd. On July 2nd, I'm going to be offering the Tactical Tender course. I mean, that's the pseudonym. That's, that's a call sign. Tactical Tender course is actually called the Divide and Conquer course, or the Divide, Adapt, and Conquer course. The DAC. You want the DAC for sure. Sorry, I just took a little sip. The tactical tenor course. Why would I do a tactical tenor course? Where it's not about dating, even though you could meet your tactical soulmate there. What it's about is the understanding that one is none, but one person and their capability is none. If you live in a household, unless you're very lonely like me, you have somebody inside the house with you. Well, maybe I'll have somebody in the house soon. You'll have somebody in the house that is part of your capability. So, if you're clearing a point of domination and you go into that point of domination and it's a center fed room, your back is exposed. You need somebody to watch your back, watch your six. You need a tactical soulmate. A lot of people train, but they don't train their spouses. This is the opportunity for you to come and train with me in Heber City, Utah at HQ on July 2nd and train with your spouse. You could train with your partner. You could train with your friend. You could train with a stranger if you're into that. We will have people who come in onesies and twosies, and the onesies, we will link up and sync them together. But the idea here is you have to be able to understand how to shoot, move, and communicate as a couple. This is not for a close quarters battle. This is for crisis recovery, meaning you're moving to your children's room. This is for home defense and self-protection. And these are all the bases that we build in our self-protection course using realistic scenarios and a lot of experience. So I want you to come out, meet your tactical tender soulmate, 
and uh, come train with me. So that's going to be on philcraftsurvival.com. And it's going to be limited slots, guys. I'm only going to do 20 slots, so 10 couples, because I want everybody to get the most out of it, especially in scenario-based training. It's going to be super fun. Um, just got back from SIG Freedom Days. Oh, what a blast. Got to hang out with Kyle Lamb, Jack Carr, Dan Horner, Max Michelle, Lena. My favorite people on the planet work for SIG or are sponsored by SIG. Got to go out there, set up a Philcraft booth. Had a lot of people coming up to me, shaking our hands at Philcraft. And I forgot how that felt. And I'm not going to, it's good to get affirmation. It's good to get a handshake and say, hey man, what you're doing is important. Because I wake up every single day asking myself, what the hell am I doing? And to get affirmation from you guys re-energizes me and my team. And it's why we do what we do. We want to prepare you, get you in the right mindset, train with you, provide the content and value that is preparedness to allow you to thrive in your life. You know, operating the outdoors is about thriving. It's not surviving. If you're surviving, you've made some mistakes. We could teach you that too, based on contingency planning and training. But we want to set you up for success proactively. So that's what it's all about. Got to test a couple guns even did some of the first shoots and first content on a couple guns, including the M250 machine gun, 6 8 by 51 On top of that contract, which was the light machine gun that the Army required, SIG got the M5 contract to replace the M4 in combat arms in the U.S. Army. Now, I don't know, I didn't know this was the thing, that there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of hate on the interwebs about the M5, because they say it's heavy, it's cumbersome. One, it's not heavy. I mean, I picked it up and it feels like, like people go, well, it's a pound heavier than a standard M4. Well, depends on what M4, because I know I have a Noveski M4 that's like two pounds heavier than normal. I mean, it's super heavy because of the Picatinny rail space and everything else. It's not that heavy, guys. And one of the uh, issues that people said was like the recoil. It doesn't have recoil. I mean, People are like, people saw me shooting the M250 and they're like, oh, see, there's recoil. That's the M250 machine gun shot in full auto. This idea that you would shoot the M5 on full auto, I get asked all the time, which is smart. Hey, Mike, have you ever shot on full auto? Do you need that? Do you need three round bursts? The answer is no. Because even if you're in a gunfight and you're suppressing the enemy, you want to be accurate on target, especially with a 30 round box magazine. You don't want to just be throwing rounds at the enemy. That's what light machine guns are for. So being semi-automatic, I imagine there's going to be a, a slower split time in between shots as that gun settles because there is more. It reminds me of a gas piston system that has a little delay, like an LWRC or HK416. And there's a little bit of, de of a delay, but it's not bad, guys. And if you look at the external and terminal ballistics of a 6.8, as Dan Horner says it, and I'm para-storing here because I, I didn't hear the story or didn't hear this phrase, but he said it's basically like putting a 300 wind mag in everybody's hands. That is a huge benefit on the battlefield, especially in future wars in rural and urban environments. I've been in gunfights with a 5.56 gun where I'm looking at the gun with a 10.5 barrel and going, what the hell is happening? Because I couldn't affect that range. There's a reason why the specifications for this were so arduous. This wasn't an easy thing. Now, is that me taking up for SIG? No, it's me taking up for the contract. We needed to develop 
the army needed to develop a better system. Uh, you're talking to somebody or you're listening to somebody who grew up in the army, spent 20 years in it. Um, but the M250, I'm like super impressed by. I will get an M5 and test it side by side with a 5.56 gun. That's what I owe you guys. Because if it is indeed better, you better be prepared. And that just means save money. <laughs> save money. Because the 6.8 is going to trickle down into the civilian space and every manufacturer is going to be looking at chambering a 6.8 by 51. If they're not, they should be. I mean, they should be. Uh, I want to look at and talk about Homestead and the latest project I just did a couple days ago. Got to hang out with Dallas from Kalapuya Honey and his wonderful son-in-law. They came up here and brought me four beehives. I mean, how blessed am I to have strangers support this homesteading education for you? Dallas, no ask, by the way. I mean, I gave him a hat. No ask. Delivers four beehives and educates me for you on video. And we do a podcast together on everything bees. Here's a couple facts. It's not hard to do. Here's another fact. Four hives in this area is going to provide me 140 pounds of honey. 140 pounds of honey. I don't know if I could sell that online, but I'm going to try. Because my idea with this whole homestead piece is, man, if you could turn anything into a cash crop because you have the capacity, the space to do so, then why not do it? Start building out self-reliance every way that you can. So what are the homestead projects? We got the bees. That content will be rolling on Philcraft Survival's channel on YouTube soon. What else you got? I'm doing seeding, compost, worms, and gardening in a greenhouse in my backyard with Didi. Didi's my COO, Chief Operations Officer, and she's also an expert who has two green thumbs and two green toes. I'm also going to be doing butchering and putting down my own livestock. Yeah, like guys are oh, what are you doing? Well, here's what I'm not doing. I'm not going to Walmart and buying bacon and beef and everything else from the grocery store where I don't know where it came from. It's easy to go, oh, this isn't an animal because it's slivers of bacon when that sliver of bacon came off the side of a pig, like a real animal. And if you don't know where it came from because you have an ethical dilemma, I would so much rather shoot a pig between the eyes that I raised, that my children raised, and knowing that it's providing me the nutrition and my family the nutrition because I know where it came from. And I want to be part of that process. I want my children to be part of that process. I want my children to witness how it is to nurture something, to love something, to provide for something outside of themselves, and then the cycle of life of that animal providing the substance for them to live healthy. So I'm also getting rid of all food where I don't know where it came from and subsidizing my protein with elk, deer, etc. So I'm getting ready for hunting season as part of my homestead plan because I'm going to hunt fowl, I'm going to hunt duck, I'm going to hunt elk, deer, bear, the list goes on. I want a freezer full of meat so my family doesn't have to depend on fast food and a grocery store chain. And then everything that I grow in my garden, including kimchi, good for your backstrom, good for your gut, Good for everything. It's got a ton of probiotics, natural probiotics, and vitamin K. I am going to, is it vitamin kimchi? I'm going to do all this and educate you on the process. So I'm excited about hunting season already. I'm doing solar. I might even do wind. 
because it is windy in the valley where I live in Heber. But I'm going to do a water tank, the generator. My whole entire place is going to be set up and wired for homestead. So I could live through this example for you. I got goats, I got chickens, I got ducks. We're doing all of this, and it's to provide you the education. Um, let's talk about gunfighting. So when I talk about gunfighting, when I say the word gunfighting, depending on where you come from, depending on your school of thought, there's a couple reactions. If you're like me, my initial reaction when I heard gunfighting was like, what? Like, who's teaching what? Who's teaching gunfighting? And what's their background? And who are they teaching? What? And then I became part of the BCM, which ironically, I'm wearing the BCM gunfighter shirt. I became part of the BCM gunfighter program, which is just a program to represent tactical instructors in the space that have been vetted, that are doing real good stuff. And it helped me understand the position of professionals like Travis Haley, like myself, like Kyle Lamb, and what gunfighting is in the civilian space. And it's self-protection or self-defense. It literally is gunfighting. But from a military perspective, we think gunfighting is like being in a firefight, right, with terrorists, not drawing my pistol on a target. But that's gunfighting. It's so important, so significant. But there is a perception of gunfighting versus the reality that I've witnessed over being in the industry, really, my entire adult life, since the industry began, I've been in the industry. I mean, I joined special operations on 9-11. So when you take a career in like the global war on terror, I've witnessed a lot of change. And I've also witnessed a lot of my own perceptions and bias and what gunfighting and combat and all this stuff was and the realities of that. And then I take that experience, which is how I operate, and then I go, well, how do I train this? So a few things that we've done to get back to reality. Let me first describe what reality isn't. Reality is not the gauntlet. Reality is not running through a course of fire that's trying to reflect self-protection or self-defense or emulate it, shooting paper and steel at will with no discrimination, which means identifying whether threats are threats, who's a friend, who's a foe, and then all of the processes that take place in that. I hear a lot of people talk about shooting, but not a lot of people talking about gunfighting. They're very distinct things. As I describe this, shooting is the script, the action, the act. It's what people often refer to as muscle memory. And I know Tony Blauer will say that there is no memory in muscle, and I get that, but it's just what people refer it to. So meaning there's an action that doesn't require a lot of thinking. So if we separate out the cognitive process of thinking through decision-making, rational decision-making, and separating the action of shooting, then shooting is just a technical skill set because it's all about efficiency and movement and gun handling, right? Efficiency on how you push the gun, how you manipulate the gun, how you press the trigger, how you manipulate the trigger, how you drive the gun, how your eyes identify the background of your front and rear sight post over a clear target. All of these processes are very technically related, which means you could rehearse, you could practice, you could become very good at that. So when people go in their social and on their content and they do that, that's fine. I'm okay with that. But I hear a lot of people going, 
well, that shooter's not, they don't say that about me because I'm not a slow shooter. But they say, well, he's not a good shooter or he's a slow shooter. Guys, that is not the correlation. That is not the metric for success in a gunfight. Now, that's a variable, but that is not distinctly what is going to make or break you. So I see a lot of tough guys on the internet, just like you guys do. And let's take the tough gunfighter, the guy who runs and guns through the gauntlet, and then let's put him under stress. Because remember, most of these scenarios, they involve stress. But most of these emulators don't emulate or inoculate stress. They don't introduce it into the equation. I mean, that's like making peanut butter and jelly with jelly. Like, yeah, we're going to substitute the peanut butter with jelly this time. Well, then it's a jelly sandwich. It's not a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Oh, yeah, we're, gonna, we're not going to substitute uh, stress in. We're just going to do more technical gunfighting. Well, then it's not gunfighting. It's shooting. So the benefit of pistol shooting, for example, in competition, let's call it USPSA, you know, IPSC or IDPA, and let's say it's a competition. There are stressors that come with competition. Yeah, sure, there's physical movement too, running in and out of boxes. But let's take the real worst case scenario. The real worst case scenario doesn't have to involve any physical movement. You could be static at a gas station pump. But the chemistry that you're going to get from being in a complacent state of minding your own business, thinking about getting home to your family, eating that spaghetti dinner, and then somebody pulling a gun on you is going to activate chemistry in your body that feels like you're running a marathon. So I often wonder how often have the people who emulate gunfighting have actually been in that replicated or emulated stress. How do you emulate that stress? There's a few ways. Psychologically and physically. When you do it physically, it could be elevating your beats per minute, your physical heart rate, and based on your level of fitness, will show you where your optimal zone is and then where your red line is. Because let's say you're weak. Let's just go with weak. I don't want to go with fat. Let's just call it weak. Like you don't have a good, you don't have muscular strength or endurance. You're not a really fit guy. You don't have a cardiovascular fitness. And then your heart rate elevates. And then you have to perform in a window, let's call it 90 plus percent your heart rate spikes because you're not very fit, and then you're expected to perform. Somebody like myself that trains beats per minute and trying to become more physically fit, I also do the same thing using a pulse ox meter, which is the oxygen saturation and your heart rate, when I tactically train. Well, Mike, why would you do that? Because that is the window and the reflection of how you individually are going to perform outside of what your technical skill set is calm or relaxed. So let's say you're a good gunfighter in air quotes, and then I assess you, and then I elevate your heart rate. Let's say with five minutes of calisthenics, that's a typical routine for me because I always want to drive home the point that it's five minutes of cardiovascular pushing and pulling of your body, your own body weight. You guys want to be gunfighters, but you can't do five minutes of cardio, pushing and pulling, calisthenics, pushing and pulling your own body weight. Um, then you better reassess. So let's say the weak guy is used to shooting very well under his conditions, his standards, his environmental factors. Then when he's stressed, 
And then he has to physically perform, like shoot the target, like maneuver on a target, and be just as efficient, you're going to see a degradation, especially above 90% of their BPM. So that for a, a normal man could be 160 plus, but that's very telling. I mean, let's say if they're bouncing off the red line at 180 plus beats per minute, they are not very cognitive. So if you don't have the fitness, if you don't have the wherewithal to control your psychological mindset and it overwhelms you, you will make mistakes in that window, no matter how technically proficient you are, because you're overwhelmed and, and task saturated. So the idea of gunfighting is not about shooting or scripts. Gunfighting is the combination of decision-making, cognition, which includes assessment of a threat, technical scripts and activating actions, and then post-assessment of threats. I see so many people that are used to driving their guns, even in live practice, where they'll draw a pistol, they'll shoot around, and then they'll snap it back into their holster. And there is a line of training protocol where you could develop the efficiency that way. So repping and repping and repping is good. But again, that is technically trying to become more proficient. When we're looking at the overall culmination of a scenario, you need to be able to do both. So if you don't train shooting a target, assessing and evaluating the position or disposition of the target, then you're setting yourself up for failure. You'll be the guy to draw the pistol, shoot one round and put it away, and then snap back into reality because you fumbled. And hopefully it doesn't cost you your life. So here's an example. Let's say you have a paper target in front of you and you want to practice this mindset. You want to practice the psychology. You want to practice realistic physical gunfighting. Here's how you would do it. You would look at the target and you would assess, is this a friend or foe? Is this person a threat? How do we assess threats? We typically assess threats via hands, but also demeanor. If a person had a gun out in the middle of a crowd, I wouldn't just go up to them and go, there's a gun, and shoot them. That would be silly. You would probably go to jail. Because what if that was an off-duty police officer? Demeanor, in fact, is how we measure behavior in nonverbal communication. So when somebody's talking to us and they're rolling their eyes and they're sighing and they're doing all this stuff, we were picking up on the cues and we're like, why are you frustrated? So if I'm trying to identify demeanor and I see a guy with a gun and I assess his demeanor and he's, his uh, brow is crunched up and he looks neurotic in his eyes and he's, he's scared, but his nerves are driving his physical body to flag and do all this stuff with a gun and the barrel is smoking, which is part of demeanor as well, which is a physical characteristics, then I could assume that he's potentially a threat, but I would I just drive the gun on him and shoot him? Well, if he was an immediate threat, then yes. If it's an imminent threat, meaning he hasn't yet made the decision to point the gun at me, then I have to decide. So let's say I go up to that, in this case, it's a paper target, and I pull the gun on the paper target because I see a gun. Have I made the decision yet to shoot? Well, if it's an immediate threat, then I would drive the gun from my holster on the target and break shots via the script that I've trained. But if not, say if I'm in my house in home defense, he's in the living room. I haven't identified whether or not he's an immediate threat to my life. There could be a TV in his hands, but a gun in his back waistband. So I draw the gun and I tell him to get on the ground. 
I used to teach like, don't ever draw your pistol and hold the gun. Make sure you execute the script. But I'm wrong because home defense considerations that you would face, you might be rolling down the hallway with a gun presented and then run into a suspect that doesn't have a gun presented, but he has a gun on his person. And then you would have to give him verbal commands. I used to say, you're not a peace officer, but in this case, you are a person defending your life, but you don't have the criteria met to use deadly force. I mean, some states, you don't have to ask the question, but I wouldn't want to just shoot because it could be, I don't know, if you have kids, it could be the kid's friends. It could be somebody who walked in the wrong house. I walked into a wrong Airbnb once with people in it and was like, oh my God, who are you guys? And they're like, uh, who are you? I've walked into a wrong, the hotel room where they didn't realize that the people in the hotel room had already checked into that room. And I walked in there and there's two people on the bed, not doing anything weird, but watching TV. And I'm like, uh, is this you guys' room? And they're like, yeah, we're in it. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm sorry. Well, God, if you followed a protocol where you just shot everything you saw, like the guy who runs the gauntlet, because it's a zombie apocalypse, you would spend the rest of your life in prison. So we have to be cautious. So I pulled a gun. And then I use my imagination here because that's the cognitive part of your brain. I look at the hands and I look at the demeanor. And then I activate because I say, you know what? I'm going to use, this guy just raised his gun at me. Now I'm going to use deadly force. So I shoot. How many times do you shoot? Well, if you're running the gauntlet like two times because that's what looks coolest on the uh, interwebs. If you shot it five times, it wouldn't look as cool, especially if you're driving target to target. But I recommend setting a pattern of five rounds stitching from sternum to head, one, two, three, four, five, counting the cadence. And then if he needs another set of five, you give him another set of five because now you're switching from a script mindset or mentality to understanding behavior and assessing it by observing it. So now I have to look at him and go, is he still a threat? And if he is, you give him another set of five. But then when you're done, do you just snap the gun and put it away? No, you don't. And if you do, you're stupid. What if the guy has a friend? What if there's multiple assailants? There was just a video I did a reacts on where there's like four guys in a gunfight with this kid in a smoke shop that was trying to get jacked for some hookah. I don't recommend um, ever working at a hookah shop in California with a vest that says security without any plates and then a sidearm. You're just waiting to get jacked. But anyways, there's a process that takes place. So that's the difference. That's why we assess that when we're tactically training gunfighters, it's not just about the technical proficiency. It's about everything. So we offer self-protection that does scenario-based training where you're under stress, you're working through a lot of variables, and you have to make decisions in real time. People always say, well, Mike, that's not how it would go down. You don't control how it goes down. How about I just create a scenario where I walk up to you with a gun pointed at the back of your head? Because that happens. How about that? And they're like, oh, yeah, you're right. I'm reactive. Yes, you are reactive. You're reacting off of people. But if you have the ability to gain the offense because you're using situational awareness, because you're observing, you're setting yourself up for success by staging, like our fanny pack, you're unzipping part of that fanny pack when you get out of the car at a sketchy gas station because you're staging, you're thinking ahead. Then we have decision points. Me and Kevin Owens started Decision Point based on the fact that a self-protection, by the way, was started by Amber and myself and then Kevin, and then it migrated. Now Kirsten and Kevin Owens run it in cross country. But let's talk about the Decision Point. Me and Kevin Owens started that because we realized 
and asking the question, what's your criteria to use deadly force? A lot of people didn't have an answer. So they go, well, based on um, the presentation of an immediate threat, I would use every, and I'm like, stop. That's what you got in your concealed carry course. That's what you read online. That's what you're reciting from USCCA. What I'm asking is personally, what is your criteria? A person going for a gun? You seeing the backstrap of a gun? A person drawing the gun? And when we ask the question, the variation of answers is insane. We have people saying, I would not shoot until the pistol is in line with my face. Oh my God. Well, you got two tenths of a second. You can gamble. But we have other people saying, if I see the backstrap of a gun, I'm pulling my gun and shooting. Like, what? What's the demeanor? I haven't even given you a demeanor hit and you're already trying to get into a gunfight. So we have to train this. And then lastly, you know, outside of the gunfighter pistol and carbine course that we offer that I'll be teaching in Heber City and at Spanish Fork uh, this month and as well as next month, I'm offering tactical tender, which I talked about. Because I want you to be capable of shoot, moving, and communicating with those you love. You should be training them anyway. Super excited about that course. Super pumped for it. Guys, in the Homestead Venture, I'm getting you on the uh, fitness bandwagon as well. If you haven't noticed, ooh, getting jacked. I haven't, I'm not getting jacked. I'll never get jacked. But being a large frame dude, I need to do not a lot of lifting of heavy, heavy things, but a lot of reps, building my endurance, building my cardiovascular fitness, building my balance. Um, I've been taking a few courses, including some of the GBRS stuff on Patreon, been getting hooked up with some of that fitness program, been focusing on functional fitness, been talking to guys at Sornex as well, because in order to operate the outdoors, I need to get my lift on. And I'm thinking about building a gym downstairs so I could do some programming, maybe on the Locals channel on our um, Locals is an app, if you don't know what that is, where we drop content, have a lot of people who are subscribed and non-subscribed. You can go on there for free and fish content, or you can go on there and uh, see what we got. But going to be doing some fitness stuff because I want to get fit. And there's a couple programs that I recommend. I'll be pushing those in the links below. Uh, make sure you look at those functional fitness programs because I use them on the road and they're great. I'm also building out a gun room. I got in contact with a company called Hold Up Displays. I'm doing a gun room that has all of my stuff organized. I'll be showing you some of that content as it comes out as well. Lastly, guys, I want to talk about Wolf 21. A lot of people ask me questions like, hey, have you tried this? Has it worked? Wolf 21, which is a lifestyle supplement brand, which is my brand, you can go on thewolf21.com. I own that company, thewolf21.com. It's named after Wolf 21, which was a wolf uh, in Yellowstone that helped restore uh, one of the largest wolf packs that's ever been documented in history, the Druid Pack, but also part of this kickoff of epic wolf stories and balancing the ecosystem in Yellowstone National Park. But the Wolf 21 is my supplement company. We have tactical tincture, which allows you to get a hit of CBG. It's like natural caffeine, all cannabinoid related from hemp, the hemp plant, not the marijuana plant, guys. I get a lot of questions like, hey, is this marijuana? No, it's not. It's derived from hemp. But the cannabinoid receptors, 100 plus receptors in your body, once activated by CBD, CBG, CBN, do certain things that benefit everything from pain, like for me, especially pain, but also sleep. I have a supplement called Bed Down, and that is the reason that I started the Wolf 21. 
because for the first time in my life, taking CBD in combination with CBN helped me sleep. And I think it's going to help you. I wouldn't tell you or try to sell you on it if it wouldn't. It's thewolf21.com. Go on there, bed down or tactical tincture and see what it's all about. Guys, I'm doing Locals content as bonus reel after this. If you haven't looked at Locals, check it out. It's an application. You can find the Phil Craft Survival channel on Locals. Uh, I want to say thank you so much for the support and everything you guys are doing. I love you guys. Uh, make sure you hit up all of our content, YouTube, Phil Craft Survival, Mike Glover Actual, my personal, and of course, the Mike Force channel. Till next time, guys. Peace out. Happy weekend. Peace. Peace.